for me, it's been a home run in two ways, on the racetrack and also building our brand here in Australia in our business. We finished first or second every year since 05, um, which was... Uh, I knew it was fast before, and I proved it very it's, it's motor racing, you know, you can't really just look at the last race of the year. You have to look at, uh, it starts at Adelaide and it ends at Newcastle. But... From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to another wonderful week of Inside Supercars. Just an amazing uh, weekend of uh, motorsport in New Zealand. The two uh, points leaders and clear class above anybody else, Craig, just gave it to them all, didn't they? They did indeed. And what a way to set up our second trip to Newcastle, Tony. uh, Another right-down-to-the-wire battle for those who like to uh, criticise, and there's a number out there that like to criticise supercars, about uh, everything all and sundry of course uh, one thing over the last few years they've been able to do is is see a championship through to its uh, inevitable conclusion it's not wrapped up three or four races before the end of the year that hasn't always been the case but right at the moment we're in a a fantastic period of where things could go on a nice edge indeed indeed it's a, a wonderful moment um, as uh, you'd be aware, I don't know how many times you've been to Pukekohe, but I've been to them over. My first uh, trip there was in 1972. My second trip was in 1996. And it always, it's a track, the simplicity of New Zealand tracks is quite overwhelming, really, because they're flat tracks mostly, although bumps are one of the preeminent uh, standouts about Pukekohe. And it was just great racing. And there were two or three occasions, passes made through that Turn 11 complex. Just extraordinary uh, driving by uh, those involved. Mm, I, in fact, you pointed me to a website uh, during the week and I had a read of uh, one of the stories in particular that caught my attention was they left Pukekohe because it was too bumpy. They went to Hamilton when that fell over. Oh, we're going back to Pukekohe, and isn't it a great circuit? The the bumps give it such character. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, an enormous uh, agenda items uh, this week, um, and I suppose largely because it's the end of the, the year and it's a very narrow championship, um, but also there's a bunch of uh, end-of-season moves, and we need to talk about those. And one of our great delights this week on this week's show is having two of Motorsport Millennials in uh, Stefan Bartholomeus and Tom Howard, both who've uh, cut their teeth as internet journalists, uh, respectively for uh, supercars.com and speedcafe.com. And uh, they're going to add their topics uh, to the agenda as well as give us our point of view on the ones we've got to bring up. So... That'll be uh, some fascinating listening to uh, those two journalists who were, mm. of course, uh, at Pukekohe at the weekend. Yeah, but Tony, wasn't it uh, great to see all five of the New Zealand drivers in the shootout on Sunday and uh, continues on that theme that you've been running with all year about the, the quality and depth of New Zealand motorsport? Indeed it is. And it was wonderful to see both uh, Richie Stanaway and Andre Heimgartner really wave their flags high and say, come on, you know, we deserve a place here. And it's going to be fascinating to see what transpires in those respective teams as to what happens there, because both of them, of course, drive for four-car teams, that being the uh, Waterloo Kelly Motorsport next year, and, of course, Tickford. 
so uh, we'll sit and watch and wait. But uh, after the break, we'll be coming back with Stefan Bartholomeus and Tom Howard to discuss this week's agenda. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Welcome to Inside Supercars. We're joined by a couple of millennial motorsport journalists in Stephen Bartholomeus and Tom Howard. Welcome on board, gentlemen. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. You're both rested after your weekend in the uh, long white cloud? It, uh, I think it normally takes until the following weekend to get a uh, proper rest. But, um, yeah, it was a massive weekend, obviously. Plenty to uh, digest. And, Tom, you could enjoy some of the uh, style of the old country? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, as Stefan said, a massive weekend. I think we're all, uh, we're all trying to recover from it because it was uh, quite a lot to chop through. But, yeah, it was a great, it's a great place, great place to visit. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, hooking straight into the topics we've got and very large agenda, let's just go through the driver things. It's things you've been involved in and talking about for some weeks, and that is the retirement this year. We've got uh, one driver retiring, or two in fact, because uh, Blanchard has also announced his retirement along with Craig Lowndes. But we've got a, a, a group of drivers who are, for various reasons, changing teams, and, you know, the Winterbottoms and... Stanaways and Holsworth, and your thoughts, Stefan, on on this uh, changes. Are there any things out of the ordinary yet? Well, we do see a uh, a bit of a churn every year. It's the nature of competitive sport that um, people move around looking to to go better and improve their lot. Uh, last year, obviously, we saw five rookies at the end of last year going into 2018 step up. And only one driver, I believe, Will Davidson, actually moved teams, which was quite unusual. It was a bit of a, almost a generational shift. And this year, we do have, as you said, Craig Lowndes stepping out. And now Tim Blanchard's confirmed he will as well, which creates um, potentially vacancies. Not with the case of Craig, because they're parking the wreck. But uh, this year, it looks like there's more swapping going on with, uh, with drivers moving elsewhere, including Mark Winterbottom, whose exit from Tickford Racing was confirmed last Thursday. That's, that's the big one, really, from the from the recent news. And I think the level of reaction, the level of fan interest in that really emphasised the fact that even though his results haven't been great lately, he's still one of the absolute marquee drivers in the sport. So we're all expecting him to go to Charlie Schwerkholz's Team 18, which means a move from Ford to Holden for him, which... Um, is certainly what has got a lot of the uh, Ford fans up in arms because he's been uh, he's been at Tickford for 13 years, which is an incredible run at one team, but also he's been Ford through his whole career right back to his karting. Ford kart does scholarship, got into Formula Ford and then into DVS with Stone Brothers Racing and then the main game with Larco. So, um, yeah, that's the one that uh, everyone's, everyone's watching at the moment. 16 years wearing blue is pretty hard for him to suddenly wander across the road, but, of course... The other news about Charlie's is that uh, Erebus have said no to him, but, you know, that's another issue. Tom, your thoughts on driver changes? 
Oh, yeah, good, good. I think Stefan pretty covered covered most of that pretty well. But, um, yeah, it does seem as though the, the market's pretty active at, at this point in time. Obviously, Stefan just mentioned there about Winterbottom. Although it's not confirmed, that's where everyone thinks uh, he's going. There's obviously two seats up at Nissan still to be confirmed. The Heimgarten and Caruso drives. Not quite sure what's happening there yet. A couple of people have been been linked to those seats from Super 2 but uh, and Techno as well with Jack LeBrock that's not confirmed either and obviously the, the replacement for Tim Blanchard although we all think that uh, Macaulay Jones is a, is a good shot there but uh, by, by far not, concerned, not, by not yet confirmed at all yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, talking about Macaulay, I, I've not really, uh, I, I've met him a few times, but not really spent time like you have in the last couple, both of you have spent in the last couple of years talking to him. How does he perform in a media sense um, as a driver in the main game? I would I would say very well. He's someone that's obviously grown up around motorsport, being the son of Brad Jones, um, has been around the race team, um, and he's just, he's just an incredibly hard worker at all facets of the game, whether it's the media side or his health and fitness side, just anything he can do to help himself as a racing car driver, he's worked really hard to uh, to perfect. So I think um, that element will be uh, easy for him. As Tom said, we're all expecting him to um, step into the BJR fold next year. And with the amount of DVS he's done, I think he debuted in that series midway through 2013. Um, so with the amount of DVS he's done, May have been 2014, but also a couple of enduro campaigns, a couple of wild cards over the last couple of years. Like they've just got to, got to get him in there and see how he goes. There's no point to doing another year of anything else. And uh, Tom, your thoughts? I mean, there were two guys at the weekend who both stepped up literally into the top ten in Stanaway and Heimgartner. Heimgartner, of course, has taken a pole I think some years back um, in his earlier days. Um, but uh, they're two who aren't confirmed for next year, nor is Holdsworth. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, Andre really uh, laid down a marker at the weekend. If anyone wanted to sort of see what he can actually do in a supercar, it was an extraordinary performance on Sunday to get to the shootout and then a, a solid drive for eight as well in the race. Um, speaking to him, he was sort of pretty pumped that he was able to do that and given his situation at the moment and his uncertainty, certainly would have uh, helped him. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one for him. Obviously, the whole driver market at the moment, it seems as though there's a, you need a lot of uh, sponsorship behind you these days to to get in. So I think that's going to be a big factor in all the guys that are looking to drives at the moment. It's not so one of those, it's not a, a place at the moment where you can just arrive just on talent, I think, at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think, um, as you say, you know, Spanaway is not, also not confirmed, but... Um, I think no one has any arguments about his credentials. He clearly has talent and has a lot of potential. Um, it's just unfortunate this year he hasn't been able to quite display it for a number of reasons. So I hope he actually stays on because I think he's a great talent. But uh, it, you know, time will tell just exactly what will happen with him there, I think. Stefan, okay. is there a lifeline there for uh, Lee Holsworth? Well, he's certainly in a uh, in a tough spot. Um, the last couple of years haven't done anything for his stocks. Um, but as we've been talking, there's so many seats still yet to uh, yet to be decided, really. Um, and all of those guys, like Lee or or Caruso, 
uh, Michael Caruso are uh, sort of names are being thrown around at various places at the moment. So um, it is a, a very active market and it's one that um, we're waiting to see how these full-time seats fall before then people also lock in their co-drivers because it's sort of gotten earlier and earlier that people lock in those critical endurance seats for next year. And, um, yeah, we're not going to know if Holdsworth is someone like Ali Holdsworth is a... Uh, top-class, top A-grade co-driver, or he's locked in somewhere else in the field full-time. Mm. One thing that has helped with the silly season, though, is uh, Simona Di Silvestro committing to uh, next year. Yeah, um, certainly. He, through a lot of the season from the time that Craig Lowndes was announced to be retiring in, in July, that announcement for 2019, the uh, noise about Simona going to triple eight in that third car was pretty large but uh, whatever the uh, the background of that they didn't end up putting a deal together so she uh, she's going to do another year at Nissan and uh, it'll be interesting to see whether they can do anything to make the next year at Nissan not be like the first two because <laughs> there hasn't really been a lot of signs of uh, progress there unfortunately and it would have been great to see what she could do in a car that's a proven regular winner I I think. Tom, do you think there'll be more chance that we'll have a 24-car grid or a 25-car grid? Uh, certainly two wrecks have been handed back, uh, so I would suggest that there will be a 24-car grid next year. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting. I'm not going to rule out there being uh, more cars. There could well be some interest in, in other wrecks that are currently in operation from other teams that want to get in but uh, at this point in time I think uh, it does look like it'll be a 24 car grid. Stefan um, I very much had the opinion that there was certainly some courting going on between Roland Dane and uh, Harvey Norman um, to get um, Simona there but uh, they didn't end up uh, consummating any marriage. Yeah I think that's a way to describe it, Tony. We saw some incidents at the weekend. Um, the wheel spinning one was one, but we also saw at Surface Paradise the uh, wheel hopping or the um, going over the curbs. Um, the suggestion that, uh, well, I think it's not a suggestion, that Hawkeye will be used at Newcastle, is that right? Yeah, that is correct. I um, spoke to Sean Seymour on Saturday and he confirmed that to me, that that, that will be in use as it was at the Gold Coast. And your your thoughts on that, uh, Tom? Uh, it's interesting. I think it's good that uh, Supercars is looking at you know in, in using technology that's available. Certainly, other sports have made good use of Hawkeye. Um, whether it will help uh, or the level of help it will give is 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 un, sort of known at this point. But certainly, in the context of what we were talking about, was that uh, they for Supercars feel that had Hawkeye been uh, in use at Pukekohe, that the the of the officials and then would have had a bit more evidence to look at and be able to make a decision a bit faster than they did and the, the, the sort of reason for it is is they feel that uh, a decision in race could have happened if Hawkeye was being used there. but it's interesting the fact that they're even considering it I think it's a cool move from the category to, to actually have a look at this and, and try and improve itself it's always good to, to try and improve and not just stand still Stefan, uh, my own thoughts were on the A-League things. It wasn't about the actual Hawkeye. It wasn't about the uh, the technology being used. It was the mismanagement of it that was that caused the problem. Would that be right? 
Yeah, well, I'm not really across the specifics of uh, the A-League goal review scenario, but, um, yeah, from my very vague understanding of, of what supercars are doing, this, this Hawkeye is essentially just a way of um, having all the video footage and, and everything like that more quickly available to officials, which, as, as Tom says, would um, increase the likelihood of things being able to be sorted in the races. Um because, of course, when, when people say Hawkeye, like someone like me thinks of watching the tennis in the summer and seeing the graphic of whether the balls landed in or out, but it's not quite as uh, as sort of sexy as that, I guess you could say. <laughs> okay. But the it's thing more is, of a system, a system and a process than uh, yeah. Yeah. something but all that graphically exciting. Like everything, Stefan and Tom, it's only going to catch what has been captured on the TV. They're not going to set up TV monitors... Uh, or cameras, I should I say, to look at every wheel of every pit stop, and that that's where, of course, it's a it's always going to be a flawed system because the driver with the in-car camera on him when he undoes his belts gets pinged. The twelve other drivers that did it that no one had the uh, in-car camera on doesn't get pinged. It's just the luck of the draw. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah, you're right. You're never gonna you're never gonna be able to spot everything. It's yeah, that was that is impossible, but. I, from, what, from my understanding, there would be more cameras being used with Hawkeye, but obviously you, you're absolutely right. You can't put cameras everywhere. You, you can't catch everything. But certainly, if you've got the system in place, at least you're, you've got you've done everything you can to try and improve the category and be as accurate as you can be. All right, working through our agenda, Adrian Burgess, um, fascinating uh, site. He's been in four teams now in the championship and now stepping into a role, and in fact a larger role than uh, David Stewart, who leaves at the end of this uh, series to go to CAMS. Um, from what I understand, uh, the role is in fact larger um, for uh, Adrian, as uh, there'll be two others appointed underneath him to cover both technical and sporting. Um, can you add anything to this, Stefan, or is it outside your boundaries? Uh, I don't, from from what I know of it, I don't think there'll be more new appointments. It's just the way internally they sort of structure their uh, their departments. But um, obviously, Adrian's going to be the head of head of all of that, as they've announced. And um, he's certainly someone that brings a lot of experience, not only of supercars, but also of world motorsport, having worked in Formula One at McLaren for all those years. But I think that um, there, there was a bit of talk initially about, um, you know, a global search, and I'm sure they did uh, look offshore, but I really think that the supercars experience that Adrian has is very necessary because to uh, parachute someone into a game as complex as this with as many uh, interesting personalities to learn as well, um, I think it's a good thing that they've got someone from within the sport. Tom, you obviously speak a bit to Adrian. Yeah, I spoke to him actually the day that it was announced just to have a bit of a chat with him and see what he thought about the new role. But um, yeah, I think it's a good appointment. He clearly knows the game, as Stefan said. Um, I Personally, I, I would have liked to have seen perhaps someone with a bit more fresh eyes come in uh, from outside, but I think Stefan makes a good point about the risks in doing that. Um, but yeah, talking to Adrian, he's very keen for the role. It was the right time to make the call and 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 join Supercars and, and take up this position. I think he's got a lot to give, and um, certainly speaking to him, his first sort of 
concerns was just making sure that the category is sustainable. At the moment, it does appear with um, obviously down to 24 cars that that it's not not in the best of health. But um, obviously, things can be done to improve. Like for example, the new transaxle is going to be a cost-saving device eventually once once it's implicated. So there's certainly moves. Uh, foot to try and make the category more sustainable. We've certainly seen on the subject of those 24 cars next year, we've seen other categories, obviously Formula One's gone from 24 down to 20. Um, there's been shrinkage in uh, Indy cars. NASCAR stayed the same with the same number and there's obviously a long queue of people wanting to line up there. I don't, at 24, I don't see any, any damage to the series. It'd um, be nice to occasionally see a wild card come in and that may happen but obviously the problem is conflict uh, in international racing but you see 24 uh, Stefan as being a good number yeah I certainly don't think that um, we'll be sitting there towards the end of the opening race in Adelaide next year going oh I wish there was two more cars on the grid I don't know about this this is a spectacle it's not much chop like it's uh, there's still going to be tw- and we're, we're saying 24 this hasn't obviously been confirmed what they're doing with wrecks and tender processes and things like that we should just add as well that uh, there's been no official entry list for next year put out. But uh, even if it does go to 24, I don't see it being a big drama. Stefan, yeah. I think one of the interesting one of the interesting things there is, unlike when wrecks have come back before, they've been the 26th and 25th car on the grid that normally comes back. This time we've seen wrecks handed back from arguably a, a potentially a 3 and a 5 or a 3 and a 7 in the in the field. So that's probably why it, it looks a bit more stark than when you have 25 and 26 giving their licence back. Yeah, there's no doubt that um, no matter who you are to uh, commercially make this this game work, it's uh, it's not easy. Uh, the, the cost of running the cars are quite high and bearing um, up the, the income from sponsorship and your rec revenue to that. Um, is uh, is not for everyone, but there's plenty out there doing it uh, half all right. So we should just enjoy the show. Indeed, um, it, uh, it's worthwhile reflecting on the uh, um, the changes that uh, in recent years. I mean, one of the most constant, I suppose, in the last uh, well, most of this century is the Triple Eight winning the championship. Now. Um, they've had a remarkable year again, um, but, but while they uh, didn't uh, win, or haven't won the Drivers' Championship, they certainly have won the teams this year. Um, no real surprises in that from your point of view, Tom? No, uh, they, they're one of the standout teams and have been improved over the last few years. Uh, the, the one thing that was uh, different this year is obviously they had to develop a brand new car which is a massive undertaking and it just goes to show just the achievement of what they have done this year the fact that they've had to develop a whole brand new car and still want the team's championship as well it's a a great effort you have to say and you've got to give them a pat on the back for that because there's been a lot of hours of work gone in last year and this year to get that up to speed so yeah it's, it's interesting i mean i think we've got a great battle at the moment between Triple Eight and, and Penske. Obviously, they won the team's championship last year. I think it's. Uh, I think the sport's in a really good uh, situation between certainly between those two teams. It's really, really competitive at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, 
think, yeah, like it's interesting uh, just sort of expanding on what Tom was saying. Like, obviously, um, DJR Team Penske won the team's championship last year, um, which was the first time in, I think, nine years. It, it ended a run of nine straight for Triple Eight winning that team's championship or eight straight. And Triple uh, Eight last year, I mean, yeah, we talk about them developing the ZB this year, but this year they're just making it go faster and faster. Last year was when they actually had to had to design and, and manufacture and and really develop it. So um, this year Penske's have been doing that with the Mustang, and you can't exactly quantify um, what impact that has. But um, certainly this year Triple Eight not being laboured with needing to design a new car from scratch in the background while running a simultaneous racing program. I think we've seen them back to their uh, absolute best. And uh, I guess the other the other thing in the team's championship battle is the fact that um, Shane and Jamie are going fairly well, punch for punch, towards the front. Obviously, Jamie's a little bit further back in points, but um, certainly they're, they're identical pretty much on pace, whereas Scotty and Fabian, there's been a bit of a bit of a gap there. I mean, there's... I think there's about 1,200 points difference between Scotty and Fabian in the championship for various reasons. It's, uh, Fabian's had a bit of a tough year, but that's uh, certainly something that Penske's will need to address if they are to win the team's championship again. More with Tom Howard and Stefan Bartholomeus after the break on this week's Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tom Howard and Stefan Bartholomeus. And uh, just looking at Triple Eight uh, and thinking about them and Holden in 2020, the, you know, there have been various discussions about Camaros and uh, um, there obviously uh, is is background work which we wouldn't know about going on. I mean, for instance, like when uh, Volvo bobbed up and when uh, Betty turned up with her Mercedes, things happen in the background that suddenly on day one when you hear about it uh, is usually it's a whole new sort of ball game. But, uh, Tom, your thoughts? Uh, do you think will be Holden's uh, for Triple uh, Eight in 2020? I think so. I think, uh, obviously, this is just my opinion, but there's a lot to play out um with this matter, but I would have thought Holden would want to continue with with Triple Eight, um, given their success and the way that they've managed to turn the ZB into a, a pretty dominant car. Uh, speaking to Christian Aquilina from Holden at Bathurst, he was pretty adamant that motorsport and supercars is very much an area that Holden still wants to play in beyond the agreement that currently stands, yeah. and they see it as a massive uh, opportunity for them marketing-wise and and a way to, to push the ZB that, that has struggled, let's be honest, it has struggled from a road car standpoint, but they see a massive value in supercars, and I, know I, would, be, I would have thought it would be strange for them to to end that so, uh, commitment or certainly not sign a new commitment with Triple Eight uh, at the end of 2019. Yeah, indeed. 
it's no real surprise, um, I would think, either of you had when Erebus have come out and said that they're not interested in a technical alliance with, with uh, Team 18. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one and it's a good sign of where Erebus have got themselves to in their development. It's uh, easy to forget that at the start of 2016 they had two um, ex-Walkinshaw cars, not only chassis, but their Walkinshaw suspension and stuff that... Um, hadn't been exactly consistent winners in Walkinshaw's hands, so they had a couple of uh, second-hand cars, and um, they've gone from that to, um, in only a short couple of years, doing their own their own stuff and doing it so well that other people want to buy their stuff. So that puts them at an interesting point in their business, whether they want to go that, that customer route that the likes of Walkinshaw's had uh, more in the past, and Triple Eight have absolutely perfected. Or if they want to go, what we now see is the sort of the Penske model of we design our stuff to win races, and uh, no one else can get their hands on it. So um, this is sort of a, the crossroads, and they've at least on this deal, they've said no, we want to focus on what we're doing. Um, yeah, I'm sure when someone turns up and wants to spend some money, you think about it, but uh, they've been very clear both uh, behind the scenes and now publicly on where their head's at with that. And Tom, uh, uh, the weekend, uh, you would have been between a couple of garages primarily, but one of them would have been over the, the parking controversy. Um, it uh, seemed an amazing thing. I mean, the bit I know about Shane, I've known him, I suppose, about 10 years I don't think he has it in him to uh, suggest that he could park up to uh, keep Scotty in his car. Uh, your thoughts on it? I actually agree with you. I don't think I don't think he meant to do it. Um, I just think um, it was just unfortunate the way everything unfolded, given the way everything happened in the race with the contact between Scotty and and obviously the the, the pit lane uh, drama with the spinning wheels. It you you could easily have thought that he did that on purpose just because of the frustrations of, of that race. But um, certainly speaking, when he was speaking in the press conference, I, I didn't get the impression that he did it on purpose. But it certainly created a, a fair bit of um, reaction on social media. And, uh, it, yeah, it was a very much a talking point for the, for the remainder of the weekend. It was interesting to watch, but uh, that, that Scotty didn't return the favour in the in the second race, but um, I think that uh, I think it was I think it was entertaining all round. But yeah, I don't think he meant to do it. Stefan Shane got out of the car pretty quick on Sunday, though. Yeah, well, um, Scotty gave him a really wide berth on Sunday. I think when he when Scotty had parked and opened his own door, he parked so far away from Shane that the door actually clipped the side of the Virgin Australia Victory Lane barrier. So <laughs> he uh, he sort of made a point in the opposite direction, but. Uh, it was certainly, even though it was a weekend that was just creating all its own dramas for very much racing-related things, um, yeah, it was just a brilliant bit of theatre at the end of it. Um, I, uh, I'm probably slightly more cynical than, than Tommy on a lot of things, including this one. Um, I, I would actually like to think that Shane did it deliberately because it's just such a brilliant head game of a move, if it was deliberate, but... Um, Either way, it added some great spice to it. Scotty was clearly, clearly peeved, but he uh, he hung on to it pretty well, both at the time and in the press conference, not making too many outlandish statements. And uh, he said afterwards on Sunday that he really used it as fuel. It really fired him up to come back on Sunday. And then 
the way he drove on Sunday obviously was was immense, and he handled that pressure from from Jamie in the race and won it, and it's just set up a great great fight in Newcastle, and I look forward to uh, seeing how it all plays out, even in the lead up, how they use the media, and uh, how it, how it goes down. Steph and I uh, think you're spending so much time with Scaife and Ingle. <laughs> well, that, it was interesting that they were uh, they were into it. They yeah, absolutely. They weren't questioning whether it was deliberate. They were only discussing uh, how Scotty should have retaliated. So <laughs> I guess it's one of those things. Like we should point out that the um, it looked like that those one, two, and three boards that they pull up on had been placed a little closely together. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I give Shane more credit than to think that he doesn't know how to park a car. <laughs> um, in that situation when he can uh, dance one on the limit at 300 goals an hour. Yeah. And, and the protest. Uh, Tom, uh, your feel on DJR protesting it? I think if you're, if you're DJR, basically you are going to protest that decision, especially when the interpretation that was given by uh, Michael Massey um, with the, the wheel spinning not in excess of one full rotation isn't in the rule book. I think you're going to protest that either way. So I think they're a right to protest. It's, it's a real interesting um, situation, this one. Um, it's, you know, you can, and you can understand why the fans are aggrieved by it, especially when, you know, the, the decision's made and the reasons for it are not in the rule book. Um, it's sort of, you can understand why people are really upset about this because they're like, well, it's, Ridiculous! If, if this is the call that's been made, and we can't see that why this call has been made because it's not in the rule book, you can understand why people get upset about it. But yeah, I think Penske did the right thing to, to protest it because I think it was something that you could you could you know fairly be uh, be upset and uh, and lodge a protest for. Whether they whether there was ever going to be a you know the decision being overturned is probably. Uh, it would have been a massive call to have, to have said that, but uh, I think they they should have should have protested. And I think they were right to. Um, Stephen, uh, before I get your opinion, I, I just want to voice something that some people have actually missed in this whole scenario, and it's the same time when I hear people talking about pit lane speeds. Having been somebody who spent twenty odd years standing in pit lane. Um, that people forget the pit lane speed monitoring is not done for for making sure the competition is uh, kept to the same speed. It's about safety in pit lane. And in the same way that this whole wheel rotation thing, it's not about making sure the car, wheels aren't spinning before the car hits the ground to get a fast getaway. It's mechanics fingers. And I'm rather angry at it that it has been allowed to come down. To, it wasn't a full rotation. It only takes a couple of in a not a half turn to take off of mechanics fingers and i i think it's very wrong that that uh, van gisbergen not from the point of view of competition but from the point of view of safety he was not given a penalty because the penalty is not for uh, competition it's for safety and i think a grave mistake was made in not giving that penalty that's my own view stefan yeah it's certainly um something that uh, fired up a lot of people both in the paddock and in punter land and when a rule is is written in black and white and uh, we all have access to the rule book on supercars.com it's uh yeah it's uh, definitely surprising when uh, someone can break that rule and we don't know about how the, the precedent 
has been in the past or any of that. It was just a, a surprise with these, even the, the precedent cases on the Erebus car that were cited from, from Bathurst and Adelaide. Erebus didn't even know that they'd been looked at. Um, so whether you see that as a, a good thing, that the officials are, have their eyes on, on other things that uh, we're not even aware of, or whether you uh, see that as bad, I'm not sure. But um, it certainly was one that um, surprised a lot of people that, uh, that that was the outcome. Interesting, just bringing into this whole scenario was this DJR Tempensky protest. I rather thought it fascinating that Roland Dane should bring into question the ethics or morals of uh, of the team that protested against that. Um, in my mind, as a new voiced uh, Stefan, um, Roland, uh, you know, quite often in a couple of words can uh, try and bring a scenario down and turn it from uh, one against him. I mean, no one had a go at Roland because he voiced the fact that the Sunday race at uh, Surfers was abandoned just because one of his cars was in a fence and uh, the other one was behind the... Uh, points leader. Oh, of course Roland wanted to cancel, but no one calls into question Roland was doing that for competitive reasons. And yet he can turn it round that, oh, I'm surprised that Penske would uh, protest against this. It just seems a bit sort of bluff and wind, a, a car dealer from way back. Well, before when we were talking about um, Hawkeye and uh, whether officials can, can see every, uh, every incident or every um, breach of rules, it's funny how good the teams seem to be in dobbing in each other. And I guess a protest is kind of an extension of that. We've even seen teams uh, put through incident submissions to race control mid-race, saying, oi, look at look at this incident. Uh, we believe our driver was punted off by another driver. And then their own team got penalised for it because it turned out the incident happened the other way around. <laughs> so people have even dobbed themselves in this year. Uh, yeah. That's how fast some of that stuff's gone. So uh, yeah, back to the actual uh, Kelly. It, um, it it was an unusual to see a um, determination protested by a team that's not actually involved, like to go through that whole protest stage. But obviously, the uh, there's so much on the line with those cats at the moment that um, if they uh, believed that justice hadn't been brought to bear, then they were always going to protest it. Can Scott handle the pressure, Steph? Do you think we go to Newcastle and Scott might crack? Well, I think, obviously, with what happened to Scotty at Newcastle last year, like you've got to say it is a question mark um, whether he can handle the pressure. I mean, it's such a big occasion and he hasn't won a championship before and we all know what happened last year. But I think you'd have to look at the Pooker Cody evidence and say that you'd be more confident that he can handle it based on that because... On Saturday, I mean, plainly, he just didn't have a car that was as fast as Shane. Um, Shane used the bumper to, to get through. Um, and probably you'd say more often than not, in hand-to-hand combat, Shane's actually had the had the wood on him. If you look over the years, you think back to even things this year, like at Sydney Motorsport Park. Um, Shane being pretty aggressive and getting it done there as well. But um, Scotty had, had a car that wasn't as quick as Shane's on Saturday but he had a car that was very good on Sunday and the way he handled the pressure of of Jamie in that race and even particularly after uh, one of the pit stops there with Jamie all over him for the first couple of laps and Scotty uh, was just sublime in that. So, um, yeah, I think he'll take a lot of confidence 
from what he did on Sunday. And um, I think he'll be pretty primed and ready to go for Newcastle. Tom, your thoughts? Yeah, I think yeah, I think Stefan's pretty much uh, covered that. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, I think as Scott said himself this year that he feels that he's learned a lot from what happened. He's a much more calmer person. He's like taking everything in his stride, and I think that's a really good approach. Um, and I think Sunday was a, as Stefan says, a classic case of just showing what he can do when you know backs against the wall there after what happened the previous day. Just come out and actually really show what he. What he can do, and he's not going to be intimidated by you know his best people in the game and go and win the race. And uh, I think, yeah, I think he will go into Newcastle thinking, yeah, I can do this. I, I reckon there's a, there's, you know, I've got everything in my arsenal to do this. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he'll, I think he'll handle the pressure okay. Tom, um, Wincup moving from being uh, just a driver to uh, having an ownership, albeit he's uh, one of four owners now of Triple uh, Eight. Um, do you think this is going to have a, an impact uh, uh, on his driving in the in the short or even in long term? Um, it's an interesting move. I, I think it's actually a very smart move from Jamie to, to to notice that you know he needs to think about his future and what he does. And speaking to him about it, he clearly is passionate about uh, his future beyond racing and, and and team ownership and being part of the engineering group and. Being actively involved in a team, I think he can't, you know, can't see himself not being involved in motorsport to some degree. And I think that outlet may be the answer for him once he does decide to to stop racing. Um, I think he's got a couple more years left, but it, it does appear that um, you know he's already thinking about what he does, and I, I don't think it will affect him next year in terms of his own driving ability. I think he's he's a top class athlete and one of the best touring car drivers in the world so I think he will be able to manage the fact that he is driving and has this going on in the background that he's learning the business and learning all the other sides of it I don't think it'll be a factor if I'm honest I think he'll a participant has left the group call I think he'll be the same old uh, Jamie and he'll just he'll be his driving ability won't be affected by team ownership or the, all the other stuff that's going on in the background. Well, we want to thank uh, Stefan and uh, Craig for and, and Tom, rather, for joining us on Inside Supercars. It's been a fascinating look into the world and uh, the recent uh, weekend in Pukekohe. So thanks very much, Tom. It's uh, been wonderful talking to you. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'll uh, stop just, the tape now. Yep. Just one second, uh, Tom. Tom. Thanks, Tony. That's quite right. Well, thank you so much on joining us on Inside Supercars, Tom and Stefan. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Our final thoughts for this week's Inside Supercars. Mine revolves around a very simple uh, moment in the race that was fairly controversial. It took until, in fact, hours before race 29 started, and that's around the wheel rotation. 
um, I have a very simple thought that there's a lot of people out there who are giving, getting very mixed up on it. The wheel rotation is similar to pit lane speed. It's not about competition. It's about safety. And the fact that the car 97 didn't rotate its wheel a whole wheel rotation, it's not the issue. It rotated. The rule says they're not allowed to. It broke the rules, and that's the very simple one. doesn't matter whether it's a full rotation or not. It's about mechanics' fingers in there, and that's what it's about, and that's what they've mixed it up, and that's what uh, they should make sure in future that it is about any rotation apart from the gear engagement when it's a, just a simple inch or two that it moves. So my thought was that, yes, 97, not from the point of view of competition, but from the sheer point of view of safety, that mechanics' fingers should not be endangered. So that's mine. Craig, your final thought for this week's Super Inside Supercars? I've got to say it's well off topic, Tony, but in light of the fact that we record this show on Tuesdays and the first Tuesday in November is Melbourne Cup, and uh, in light of and also that I know that you don't give a toss about it, um, I just thought there was an interesting situation which got well publicised that the owner of... Magic Circle, a multi-billionaire, was going to accept the cup in a G-string if his horse could win. Now, history tells us that that didn't happen. However, I know Roland and also Ryan Story both listen to the show. I don't know, I don't honestly think Dick does, but uh, I know they are good supporters and listeners of the show. Do you think we will, between now and Newcastle, have one of them come out and say, if our driver <laughs> lifts the cup, we will wear a nothing more than a G-string to uh, the podium? I doubt both will, but gee, let's uh, see if uh, the listener can put some pressure on to get any sort of uh, comment on it. Well, that's it for another week of Inside Supercars. It's a certainly a... A terrifying thought, the idea of Story or Dane in a, uh, a G-string at uh, Newcastle on the podium, but we'll let that be uh, my final thoughts only. <laughs> and uh, look forward to another week uh, next uh, week as we prepare for the fascinating final of this year's Inside Supercars and, and Virgin Australian Supercars Championship. So that's it from me. And that's good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.